1 Corinthians chapter 14, and the title is Prophecy, Tongues, and Order in the Church. And as Pastor Michael has been teaching you uh, with the spiritual gifts, and then, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, um, love, uh, it's been about unity in the church, hasn't it? That's really what Paul was teaching. And, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. I was sharing with uh, the group this morning uh, that meets in here before church that what a wonderful thing to come back to living truth and see the body of Christ in action and then be able to see it on another side going to a new church and uh, watching the love of Christ working there too. And I think sometimes we forget that there's a universal body of Christ, that it's not just here at Living Truth. And this message this morning, a lot of this uh, that, that I may be encouraging you is things that you are already doing here at Living Truth. And it's wonderful to see. But it's really a message for the whole body and a message of unity. Now, you have already been taught by Pastor Michael that all the spiritual gifts are for today, Correct? So hopefully I don't have to convince anybody uh, because Pastor Michael has given you all the biblical arguments that all the spiritual gifts are in order in the church today. But what did you learn that is more important than even your spiritual gifts in chapter 13? Love. Love. And what kind of love is that? Agape love. Yes, here I am back speaking of agape love. And so many of you know because I've spent so much time teaching those chapters. And, and it's the key to unity in the body, agape love. And that love is the kind of love that is not self-serving but is serving others. That which is love that I give to others without expectation of anything in return. And yes, once again, I'm going to say what's the only way that you can demonstrate that kind of love? Through what? Oh, you were doing so good until right then. The power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot love that way in the flesh. So we want to make sure that we're straight on that before we get into the text this morning uh, and, and understand these two gifts that Pastor Michael did put off until this morning uh, when he spoke in chapter 12 on spiritual gifts. And as Pastor Michael also taught you, these gifts have a purpose. They're for the building up of the body of Christ. So now Paul is going to educate the Corinthians which means he's also educating the Coronians, right? And yes, even the Prescottonians. He's going to speak to all of us about the proper use of prophecy and tongues in the church today and why prophecy is a superior gift in the church. Now, these two gifts are often linked together in Scripture. You may have noticed that. And they always seem to be surrounded in controversy, and really, I have to say, frankly, that controversy is really due to people's ignorance. They haven't studied the gifts. They don't really understand them. Or some preconceived notions that they may have. And that may be due to some experiences they've had. They really shouldn't be controversial at all. Because they're explained very thoroughly in the Word of God. So as we look at this chapter, hopefully we're going to clear up some of the confusion that people have on these gifts and get a true biblical perspective of how they are to operate in the church today and why you need to understand it. You may be thinking, oh, do I really need this? The answer is yes, you do. I mean, Paul spends an entire chapter on it. So yes, you need to know them. You need to understand them. And I do want to say that though I have spent a tremendous amount of time on this particular subject, how many of you in here have actually ever taken the spiritual gifts class when I taught it? Anybody still left because... I didn't teach it in a while. Um, I've spent a ton of time. I taught the, the uh, spiritual gifts class here at Living Truth for, for many years. And out of that, thanks to some suggestions from people in the congregation, I actually wrote a book on the spiritual gifts. And so I've spent a tremendous amount of time. But I have to tell you, every time I get back and study and prep to teach on this again, I realize how much I don't know. There's so much I don't know. It's still a mystery to me in many ways. But God does have a lot to teach us. And today I have three really main goals for you. One is that you would get a good understanding of tongues and prophecy, the two gifts that you haven't covered yet. Two is for you to understand their proper use in the church today. And then three is to encourage you to earnestly seek after any gift 
um, and including these two that God may want to give you. So those are the three goals as we uh, look at the teaching this morning. Now, Paul, when he was talking about these, he didn't have to define the gifts because they already knew what they were. But I, I knew that coming in here today, there may be some people here, this is going to be brand new to you. You may never have even uh, looked at what spiritual gifts really are. And so we want to define our terms first so that you know. So the two gifts that we're talking about today is tongues and prophecy. And whenever we say tongues, some of you are already conjuring up weird stuff in your mind. It's so funny. Uh, you're, you're like, maybe you've been to a church and they did this and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. But tongues, very simply, is the word glossa uh, in Greek. And uh, Strong's definition is this, of uncertain infinity. Not, I, I don't even want to get into all what that is. But the tongue, by implication, a language. And I know Pastor Michael mentioned that in chapter 12. It's languages, but Strong says this also. Especially one naturally unacquired. One naturally unacquired. That's important to understand. Uh, one of my favorite translators is a guy named Kittle. He has a 10-volume book on Greek words. It's amazing. Um, he says this about tongues. He says, An expression which in speech or manner is strange, and you're like, yeah, get that part, and obscure, uh-huh, and needs explanation. So strange, obscure, and needs explanation, and that's, that's true. Now, in the, in the Bible... There are some different examples of tongues. And the one, of course, that we're probably most familiar with is in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to have you turn there because we don't have time today. But in Acts chapter 2, uh, the disciples were gathered together and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they began to speak in languages, but the languages they spoke in were known languages. And there were all these people from different areas around them that were there. And they were hearing the disciples speak in these languages, which were their languages. They understood what was being said. But they looked at these guys and they went, well, these guys don't know our languages. They're just a bunch of fishermen. They haven't studied our languages. But they heard them in their own languages. So they were known languages. And then we also see in the Bible that there were languages that are unknown languages. Now, there are Bible scholars who disagree with that and say, no, they're all known languages. Um, and, and again, I'm not going to be picky with those people, but I think if you look at some of the examples, and you could turn later into Acts 19.6, um, that you'll see that there were languages that were not known. And, you know, the interesting thing about tongues is, did you know that Jesus spoke about that? Most people who teach in the spiritual gifts never even mention that the first mention in the Bible of speaking in tongues is by Jesus. And it's in Mark 16. I'm going to read it to you. Mark 16.15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. You guys remember that part, right? We all seem to remember that. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. He didn't say specifically the disciples. He said those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, I've got to clear up something real quickly. This does not mean that you're supposed to go out and play with snakes and go, oh, they can't hurt me because I'm a believer. The Bible says, no, no, no. That's not what that was about. And many people who have done that and call it a religious practice have died from snake bites. I'm sorry, but that was pretty dumb on their part. Um, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, though, that when you're out ministering the gospel, these things can happen to you, and oftentimes God will protect you, and we see that throughout the book of Acts. But he says specifically, they will speak in new tongues. Now, the word new here is kainos in Greek, and it means new, especially in freshness. It means new. It means it hasn't been spoken before. So for those that would teach, no, they were all known languages, I can't agree with that. Jesus specifically said, you're going to speak new languages, ones that people don't know. We'll also see in this chapter that tongues were sometimes manifest in situations that weren't really truly the exercise of the spiritual gift. And this is an important concept today, 
to understand that sometimes uh, God does things very specifically for a very specific purpose, but it's not truly the exercise of the spiritual gift. It's a manifestation of God's work. So we have tongues. Then we have prophecy. The word in Greek for prophecy is prophetia. And most Greek scholars would agree that it has two meanings. One is to foretell events. And we kind of already know that. Yeah, prophecy, telling the future. In the Old Testament, prophets were often called seers. Seers meant, really, they just see what's going to happen before it happens. And they're able to speak about it. So that's what they were called in the Old Testament. But it also means just to speak under divine inspiration or foretelling. So a lot of people would say, well, anytime a, a pastor gets up in the pulpit, it's really prophecy because he's foretelling. He's speaking for God and he's preaching the word of God. And that's true, but I don't think in the largest sense that's really what we talk about when we talk about the gift of prophecy. Um, I think it more has to do with being able to speak for God and saying things that, um, that you might not be able to know other than God gives you special um, examples of that. But again, I'm not going to nitpick into those areas. Now, I like Thayer's definition of this, and I think it helps us understand it really well. He says it's a discourse emanating from divine inspiration or coming from divine inspiration, declaring, and, and this is pretty specific, declaring the purposes of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things hidden, especially by foretelling future events. That's the definition Thayer, who's one of the great Greek scholars gifts. So you have definitions now of those two gifts that we're going to speak about today. So let's just have a word of prayer and then we'll get right into the text. So Lord, we just pray this morning that as we get into this uh, text of this chapter, Lord, that you will speak and Lord, that we will have ears to hear and listen to what the Spirit says to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse one, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So right away we see three things about tongues. Number one, tongues is for man to speak to God, not the other way around. And this is so important because I know that many of you have been exposed to um, an abuse of the gift of tongues or even false tongues. <clears throat> and it often comes out as though it's God speaking to man through tongues. That's not the purpose of tongues. It's not the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, tongues sometimes does accompany prophecy, and it did in Acts chapter 2. So a person might be able to give a prophecy after tongues, but it's not what the person is saying. Tongues is man speaking to God. If you get that right, then you'll be able to recognize uh, false uses of tongues. Number two, it's speaking from one spirit, basically bypassing the intellect. And we'll see that in verse 14. We'll get to it a little more, but it's speaking from your spirit, bypassing the intellect. Now, some of you right away are going, that's why I never want that gift. Okay? I don't want to not use my mind. But I think after a while, and we get through this, you'll see that it can be helpful. Number three, with tongues, we speak mysteries. In other words, we don't understand, but God does. And that's the important thing. When we're speaking in tongues, we will not necessarily understand what's being said unless we have another gift that I'll talk about in a minute, and that's the gift of interpretation. But most people, and I will just say up front, this is not my gift. I prayed for this gift for 30 years, and I pleaded with God, God, why won't you give me this gift? He didn't explain. He just said, as he often does to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So I'm just saying that up front. But I have hundreds, literally hundreds of friends that do speak in tongues. And they don't know what they're saying because they don't have the gift of interpretation. It bypasses the intellect. It's in your spirit. But Paul says in verse 3, one who prophesies speaks to men. So we have this man speaking to God, that's tongues, God speaking to man, that's prophecy, okay? So he says, one who prophesies speaks to man for edification, exhortation, and consolation. 
So we see three purposes of prophecy here. We already know God is speaking to man. Now, by the way, that's man and woman, and um, he's doing that through another man or woman. Okay, so when God's speaking to man of prophecy, it's through a man or, or a woman. And yes, women can prophesy. We'll get to that. So with three purposes of prophecy. One is um, it edifies or builds up. That word edify is okadome, and it means to build up as in construction. So we have some construction guys here, so they know what it is to build something up from the ground up. And that's really what prophecy does. It builds up in our faith from the ground up. Number two, it exhorts. That word is paraklesis. Now, you know paraklete, parakletos. That's the Holy Spirit, right? The one who comes alongside. And so this word means that prophecy comes alongside of us in, for encouragement, just like the Holy Spirit does, for comfort, uh, consolation, exhortation, and urging. So for all of those reasons, we get prophecy. Then thirdly, it consoles. Now, we already said console, but it, this is a different word. It's called paramuthia. And this is a neat word because it denotes a real tenderness. I don't know that I've ever thought of prophecy in that way, that prophecy can be tender. Oftentimes, we think of prophecy as the warnings that we get, Right? The guy in the street corner who says he's a prophet and he's warning you all that you're going to hell if you don't accept Christ. Um, that's not too comforting. That's not too consoling. That's not too tender. But prophecy can be tender as well. So verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. So look, Paul is not discouraging the use of tongues at all here. But he's just going to explain in these next few verses why prophecy is considered a greater gift in the church. And he does bring the one exception, and that is when there is interpretation. And I've been in services where there has been tongues and there's been proper interpretation. Sometimes in a known language, which is always nice because then we can be sure if the interpretation is right, we ask a person who speaks that language, but other times in an unknown language. Now, when I've taught the class in spiritual gifts, this question always comes up, and it's really a good question. The question is, okay, if tongues only edifies the person, I thought all the spiritual gifts are supposed to edify the whole body. So how is that considered really a spiritual gift? That's a really good question. And I think there's two ways that that question is answered. Number one is, if a person uses the gift of tongues, they're, they're praying through the Spirit, not through their intellect, but if you talk to people who have done that, it's a really refreshing thing in their life. They know that whatever came out, even though they don't know what it is, that it was directed by the Holy Spirit and that God will answer that prayer. So what happens to that person? They get built up. They get encouraged. Now remember, each of us, and there's a chapter on this that Peter wrote about, that we're all living stones in this building that's being built up. That's one way to look at the body of Christ. Well, you know... If the stone next to you is all fired up for the Lord because of their experience in tongues that they've just had maybe in their prayer time, they're going to encourage you, right? Whenever one person in the body is built up, they're going to encourage another person. So in that way, it does edify to the body, not directly, but in an indirect way. Number two is when there's interpretation. Because when there's interpretation, what you're going to hear, and another way of knowing is this really it, you're going to hear praises and exaltation of God. When man speaks to God through the Spirit, it's going to be praising and exalting God. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. What those men were hearing in their own language, it says in Acts chapter 2, they said, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And hey, when people are around you speaking of the mighty deeds of God, whether it's in tongues or in English as we're, as we're worshiping here this morning, doesn't that encourage you? 
Doesn't that build you up? And so that's how it can build you up. But Paul goes on in verse 6, and he says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? So in other words, look, if I came in here today and I stood up here behind this pulpit and I started saying, shit about a Honda, shit about a Toyota, that's what you do when you want to pretend to speak in tongues? Sorry. Sorry, Lord. But if I came here just speaking that over and over and over to you, what would it profit you? It would profit you zero. And that's what Paul is trying to say here. And he illustrates in a really interesting way. He says in verse 7, Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? You see, language is all about communication, right? And even instruments can communicate. I think when you think back into ancient times, you think of the shofar, and they blew the shofar. I wish Brenda was here to blow it. She's pretty good at it. And, and they blow that shofar, and different tones meant different things. One would be to prepare for battle. One would be for rest. One would be the call to come together as a congregation. Um, how many military guys we have in here? Raise your hand if you served in the military. Okay, awesome. We love you guys. Yeah, you can clap for them. When you hear the sound of reveille in the morning, you know what that means to do. And when you hear the sound of taps in the evening, you know what that means to do. It communicates. And Paul says even lifeless things can communicate if we have agreed upon the meaning of those things. And that's really what language is. So he says in verse 9, So also you, unless you utter by tongue, by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what's spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So those of you that travel a lot, you know when you're maybe in the airport of a foreign country and everybody's speaking a different language and you don't know any of it? You know how that feels? It feels really strange, doesn't it? They're speaking into the air as far as you're concerned. And oftentimes I felt that way even when I was teaching because we had so many languages spoken at our schools. You know, kids would be talking. I don't know what they're, they're talking except, unfortunately, I learned their cuss words real early so I could catch them when they did it. Okay? But you, you feel very strange when that happens. And, of course, half the time when I was speaking to them, they must have thought I was speaking in the air because they never did what I told them. So I don't know. Maybe I was speaking in tongues to them. But it's weird when you're standing around, people are speaking a different language. And that experience is true if you're in a service and people are speaking in tongues. That can seem really strange, really weird to you. You, you, you feel like they're a barbarian to you. So in verse 12, he says, So also, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts, and by the way, he's saying this as a positive thing, not a negative thing. They were zealous in Corinth for spiritual gifts. Not always with the right motivation, however. But he says, So also you seek to abound for the edification of the church. If you're going to be jealous for gifts, seek those gifts that are going to edify the church. That's what Paul is saying to them. And he says, Don't bother seeking a gift for your own exaltation. Now in Corinth, many of the people who demonstrated the gift of tongues considered themselves more spiritual than those that didn't. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Have any of you been through that experience? It's rampant in the church today where people question your relationship if you don't speak in tongues. They go, I'm not sure you're really saved. Or, well, you might be saved, but let me tell you, you just haven't been baptized in the Spirit yet. And Don't raise your hand. But I know some of you have experienced that because you've told me that. And I've experienced that. 
For all those years I was praying for the gift of tongues, I had people going, well, I just don't think you're baptized in the Spirit. And I'm going, well, God better hurry up and do it because I'm in the pulpit teaching, so I think you better do something here. That's false teaching. That's unbiblical. And in fact, what is the main evidence that you've been baptized in the Spirit? We already mentioned it. What is it? It's love. If you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, you can't love. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, demonstrated in peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Isn't it interesting? In Galatians 5, it doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is tongues. Not in that list. So I'm going to go with Galatians 5 and say, no, that's not the evidence that you've been baptized in the Spirit. It's a gift that God gives. And no one should feel more superior because they have that gift. In fact, I think it's interesting because Paul, and he's going to do this in a minute, is going to correct the church for their wrong use of gifts because they were interrupting each other with their gift of tongues or even their gift of prophecy. And they were out of order. And I would consider a person who came into a church service and was out of order if anything, a little less mature in their belief than a person that doesn't have the gift of tongues. Some of you have been in those church services. Some of you walked into a church service. They were all speaking in tongues at the same time. And some of you, like me, have turned and walked the other way <laughs> when you've seen that. I've got great stories, but I don't have time to, to tell you this morning of experiences like that. So it's critical that we don't buy into the fact that you know, you're more spiritual if you have this gift. That's not what Paul says at all. Verse 13, Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. And remember I said, your spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So those that say, well, no, no, you're not supposed to ever bypass your intellect. Sorry. Verse 14 of 1 Corinthians says, if you pray in a tongue, that's exactly what you do. And Paul encourages you to pray in tongues. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. There you go. That's the balance that we're to have as Christians. I'll pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Does that mean people sing in tongues? Yes, it does. Have you seen it and go, that's weird. Yes, it seems that way. But you can do that. Should you do it together in a congregation? I'm not sure on that one. I guess if the worship leader says to do it, you could do it. I wouldn't do that even if I had the gift. But certainly as I was home in my prayer time, I would do that as God led. If he blessed me with that gift, I'll sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the mind also. We need both, don't we? We need both. We see here that twice Paul connects tongues to prayer. And I think this is the key to using tongues correctly in the body of Christ today. Paul speaks about it in prayer. And I believe, after all my time of study of this, and, and I'll show you a little bit more in a minute, that it's really best to use the gift of tongues in your private time of prayer. I think that's what Paul's trying to get at. It's not that much benefit in a church service unless there's an interpreter, but he's, he's connecting it to prayer. And most people that I know that have that gift, that's when they use it, in their private prayer time. Some people call it my prayer language. That's fine, whatever you want to call it. Now, if you would quickly turn to Romans chapter 8, not far away here. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I just want you to look at these two verses with me. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there are teachers who say that doesn't have anything to do with tongues. And again, I'm not going to argue with them about that, but I believe that this is actually, and I would call this the gateway to the use of tongues. 
Because you get in a place, and have you been there, where you're in prayer? And I've been there, and I, some of you probably are right now with all these tragedies that are happening, or tragedies that happen in your life, and you get praying, and, and you get to this point, and, and you go, God, I don't even know what to ask. I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I can't express. You ever been there? I've been there many times. What says that when we get to that, that the Spirit will intercede. Now, it doesn't say you're going to speak in tongues. You might. But the Spirit will intercede for you and pray for you. Isn't that wonderful? God, I don't know what to pray, but I'm just going to allow you right now. And I have done that. And you know the groanings? That's only, if you want to call that tongues. But there's times when I literally groan. And there's other times where just, you know, in my mind, I'm like, God, I'm just letting you take over. I'm going to be quiet. Would you pray through me? Would you intercede in here? I don't know what to say. And I know, I can't guarantee you if you do that, and you get to that place, and you say, so Lord, would you use this gift of tongues? Do that. Ask for it. And God may give that to you. But he also may not. But what you can be guaranteed is if when you ask God to intercede into your prayer, he will intercede into your prayer. Isn't that an awesome thing? So I believe that's the gateway, Romans chapter 8. But Paul, again, is going to urge here that in a gathering of believers, it's a little bit different. And he says in verse 16, Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, so maybe you're in a gathering of believers and you just start doing that, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you're saying? For you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Now, look, this is really good policy. If people are praying, and oftentimes when you get like, like, you know, sometimes we'll go down to the city and pray, National Day of Prayer and those things, and there'll be a group of people who'll go and they'll all start praying in tongues. And again, I don't want to be critical of them other than this. Why are you doing that? Because I'm standing next to you and you're praying and I don't know what you're saying. Guess what? I am not going to say amen to your prayer. Oh, how can you not say amen to my prayer? Because I don't know what you're praying. And believe me, and I've seen this in churches all over America today, I've seen men stand behind a pulpit speaking English that we all understand and proclaiming heresy in the pulpit and people going, Amen! Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! You've probably seen that on TV. Because they get all wrapped up in the charisma of the man and their eloquence of their speaking and they're not even paying attention might as well be speaking in tongues because you're not paying attention to what they're really saying so it's a good policy if you're in that situation to not say amen unless there's a gift of interpretation in verse 18 he says i thank god i speak in tongues more than you all all right so is paul saying you know don't speak in tongues <laughs> i don't think so how does he know that? I don't know, maybe gift of prophecy, I guess. I don't know. He says, however, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And I think that's interesting. And I've read that verse and wondered sometimes, Lord, is that why you won't give me the gift? Because you want me to use my mind and instruct. And if that's the case, I'm happy with that. I don't know. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking... Be mature. Now, doesn't it sound reasonable to you that when you're a church service, it's better to speak in words that people understand? Sounds reasonable to me. All right, now, hopefully I can cover all this in these next five verses. And I will say, uh, when I said that this can be a tough chapter, this is, this is part of why it's tough. Um, in fact, these verses have befuddled so many Bible commentators that some of them believe there was actually a copyist error in them and they try to explain it that way and that could be a possible explanation i don't agree with that but let's get to them and i'll show you why so verse 21 in the law it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers i will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me says the lord so then and I put in parentheses here in my notes, I would suggest that the then here means in this instance. So then, in this instance, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, 
but to those who believe. Therefore, verse 32, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you were mad? And again, some of you have experienced that. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. Verse 25, the secrets of, the heart, of his heart are disclosed, so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring God is certainly among you. Now, Paul isn't trying to say that this happens every time. But what's really going on here? Well, the example he's using is kind of interesting. He's speaking out of Isaiah chapter 28. He quotes Isaiah chapter 28. And Isaiah chapter 28 is when God judged Israel by using men who spoke a different language, a language that the Israelites didn't know. Why did he do that? Because their own prophets had warned them and they wouldn't listen. So he says, I'm going to judge you by men who speak a language that you don't even know or understand because you won't listen in your own language. So in this particular case, tongues were used as a sign of judgment against Israel. So that's not to be confused with the spiritual gift. I think that's what Paul is trying to explain here. Don't confuse that with the spiritual gift to be used in the church. In Acts chapter 2, as we said before, the tongues were a sign to be used as a sign, not in the same way that we use them in the church, but they were to be used as a sign. And they, that sign was to show unbelievers that the Holy Spirit had to be present. They were like, are these guys drunk here or what? No, it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. They're not drunk, but they're speaking, Peter said, giving a prophecy after tongues, said this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God said is going to happen in the last days. And we're in those last days, by the way. So it was a sign to unbelievers that the Holy Spirit was present. So again, I said sometimes God uses these things in a manifestation that isn't necessarily the gift. But Paul says in the church, if all were speaking tongues, and he may, I think, have implied at the same time, unbelievers are going to walk in and go, this is crazy weird. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Now, with prophecy, he says when it's manifested for a sign outside of the church, it's for believers. Why? Because when you're outside the church walls and you may be giving a prophecy, um, you know, you're with other believers in that, and they're listening to what's being said, and they're going to test it and see. It's a sign for believers, not unbelievers. Why? Because unbelievers, they're not going to care what you're saying. They're an unbeliever. They could care less what you're saying. So it's useless to an unbeliever because an unbeliever isn't going to act upon whatever prophecy you may be giving. But in a church service, it's a different thing. And remember, in a church service, prophecy may go out in a foretelling way. Oftentimes, God uses pastors to kind of let you know what they believe is going to happen in the future, right? As they're speaking forth the word of God, and then you can see it comes true. Well, that's a different thing. In a church service... Sometimes an unbeliever will be listening and go, ooh, wow, ah. Uh. And what happens? They may receive the Lord in that church service. They may say, wow, God really is at work here. I never knew he could do that. I, I see the same thing. That's a different situation. So an unbeliever can be convicted in that church service and maybe come to Christ. So I hope that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, that's okay, because it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> so here's Paul's summary. In proper and orderly use of tongues and prophecy in a church service, verse 26. He said, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue... It should be by two or at the most three, and in turn, each one must interpret. So he's saying, speak in tongues in church, only two or three, let someone interpret. If there is no interpreter, listen to this, no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. That's when you go into church and you know they're out of order. Don't be a part of that church if they can't get it in order. Paul says, must keep silent, even if you believe you're supposed to be doing it. 
Let him speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets, verse 29, speak. And let others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. So again, he's giving rules, giving order. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. Now another key, and I, don't want, I have time to get into this, but the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means you can shut up if you're supposed to. For these guys, well, I couldn't help it. The spirit was moving and I just had to. No. Paul says the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. So if you're going to be out of order, keep your mouth shut. For God, and this is the key, is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, one thing to note here is that you're looking at this going, well, we don't need to have any of that in our church services. Yeah, the church services were a little bit different in this time. Remember, they met mostly in homes. They might have met in a, in a synagogue at times, but they were usually smaller gatherings, a little more intimate, and very participatory. Now, we used to have a service here at Living Truth uh, we called Numa, which represents the Holy Spirit, where we came, we just worshiped and prayed and allowed these gifts to be used. And they were. And they were used. There were prophecies given in here. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, never had an instance of speaking in tongues, I guess because there were never any interpreters here. I don't know. Um, but we had it. We was set aside for that. So when you're in smaller groups, even in home groups, that's a good time to, um, you know, let the Lord work in that way. But it would be chaos if we did that in here in this service, wouldn't it? So that's why it doesn't happen in the services we do now. The one who speaks is the one who God appointed as the teacher. Uh, the worship is done by worship leaders, and we all participate in worship. So in those ways, it's uh, similar but a little bit different. And again, this is why having agape love comes first. Because if you're, you know, so if you're wrapped up in yourself, you're not demonstrating agape love, you won't stay quiet. You won't let the other person speak first. It'll all be about you. But when you have agape love where you're looking to serve the body and to serve others, then you're able to do that. It's all about concern for the building up the body of Christ, not exalting or glorifying oneself. And I have to say, over my many years of the church, I've seen so many times where people are exalting themselves. They want to prove how spiritual are. That's why they get in a big group and start speaking in tongues. And you even hear their little phrases, you know, well, if you really know how to pray, meaning if you have the gift of tongues. Um, it, it's, it's a sad thing. Verse 34, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. Okay, I see we're running out of time here. Someone let Pastor Michael talk to you next week about that. No. <laughs> I was tempted. The women are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves just as the law also says. Now, let me try to explain this to you. you got to read on a little bit. Verse 35, If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? Now, let me get to what Paul's saying here. Look, we know for sure that women are allowed to speak in tongues and women are allowed to prophesy. Not only allowed, but there are probably you see more uh, prophetesses in the New Testament than you do prophets. Okay? And Paul said in chapter 11, if you go back and remember what Pastor Michael taught you in chapter 11, he said that a woman in Corinth should have her head covered when she does prophesy. So obviously Paul didn't say she shouldn't prophesy. He said, have your head covered when you prophesy. What was that all about? Um, if, if you remember, was well, all about having the authority over you. It represented having your, your husband's authority over you. That's what the head covering was all about. In that time, if, if you weren't here or don't remember, you know, the uncovering of your head was what the prostitutes did. So Paul was just saying, look, where you live and where you're here, you need to show that you are covered by an authority, and that's your husband. So remember we said earlier, look, when someone speaks a prophecy, it's to be tested to see if this is a worthy saying or not. That's what was supposed to happen in the church. And really what Paul was saying here is that testing of that prophecy comes from the male leadership in your church. 
That's not for you. And apparently it seems like maybe, uh, and especially if they did it the same way they did um, in the synagogues where the man sat here and the woman sat here, you know, they weren't supposed to be calling out to their husband, hey, what's he talking about here? They weren't supposed to be interrupting this service. And so Paul was just trying to say, don't do that. Don't interrupt a service. Look, if you need to understand something, you don't. The male leadership here is the one who tests the prophecies. If you don't understand what's going on, go home and talk to your husband about it after church. Okay? I really believe that's what Paul was trying to say here. And I think that's on good authority. And he's also saying, and if you don't agree with this, look, you know, who, who are you? I mean, Paul's an apostle. He, he talks about his authority. This is how we know about this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 20, uh, 21. He says, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And I know that there are people in the church today that do that. There are people who say they despise them because they don't believe they're of God because they believe those gifts have ceased. But we know better. There's not a biblical case to be made for that. So don't despise the prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. So don't just buy into it because someone prophesies. Examine it carefully and hold fast to which, that which is good. That's what Paul's saying here. And he says, and I love this in 37 and 8, if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual... Let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So what Paul's saying, look, if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. I wish I could get up here and do that with that kind of authority, but I can't. But Paul's saying, look, this came directly from the Lord. You can't argue with me on this. And if you don't recognize this, then you're not to be recognized in the church. And the Greek word for recognize is agoneo, agonize, agoneo, meaning that they're ignorant and do not understand or they're mistaken. So he was being very clear there. So Paul concludes now with verses 39 and 40. He says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So as we look at this, we want to ask ourselves, well, what's our real takeaway for the, the church today? Well, the takeaway is this. Paul says, look, all these gifts are for today. And he says, desire earnestly. Earlier he said earnestly, all gifts, especially prophesying. Why? Because prophesying builds up the church. So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever specifically prayed for the gift of prophecy or for the gift of tongues? Have you ever sat down in your prayer time and said, Lord, these are two gifts that you say we should pray for. And so I'm asking for those gifts. Or have you ever even sat down and prayed for God to show you any of your spiritual gifts? And, and I have to say that, and not here at Living Truth, but in the church body overall, there has been such a lack of good teaching and emphasis on the spiritual gifts that the body of Christ has certainly suffered for that today. And I think a lot of what's going on in the church today, for instance, as I was mentioning, pastors in pulpits, who are teaching things that are not in God's word. If you had people who, who knew their gift, I can guarantee you there's people in those bodies that have a gift of discernment of spirits. They know that that's not of the Lord. And they can go right to that pastor and, and hold them accountable. You see, the body suffers when we don't pray and seek the gifts that God has for us and use the gifts that God has given to us. Too many people are serving in the wrong area of ministry. And maybe some of you here are, but I can tell you from my experience here, so many people, I know they're serving the right way. How do I know that? The joy that they receive in doing it, the joy that they get in operating in the gift that God's given to them and not out of obligation. But too many people aren't doing that. Too many people are serving out of their gifts because the pastor has asked them to serve in something, and, uh, but maybe they're even afraid to ask for the gift 
that God may want to give them. Paul says that to desire all gifts, but then be blessed by whichever one God gives you. I don't worry that I don't have the gift of tongues anymore. I'm just blessed by whatever God's given to me. And I'll just tell you one thing. If you truly seek the gifts that God wants to give you, and then you allow Him to operate in you, it's by the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit, not in you. Our pastor in Prescott had a great example. He said, you know, when you're, you, the use of the Holy Spirit, it's not like a pump where you've got to be going, you know, and you're trying to force something through. He said it's more like a pipe, and it, and it just flows through, and that's how it works. It just flows through you. But I guarantee you, if you do that, if you go to the Lord, you seek your gift, you ask God to show you, you maybe have to do a little bit, bit of study in that, and if you haven't already, um, you can get my book. You can wait till it comes on free. I always post on Facebook when I can put it on free on the gifts, or you can find another good book, but be careful who you read, and find out what your gift is, and then allow God to, to use you in that way. You'll be blessed beyond measure. When you're serving in your gift, it is a joy and a pleasure to serve. Now, this is not for you, but I know that there are people who listen to these messages. I don't know if you realize how many people listen to Living Truth messages outside of Living Truth, but they do. And this is really for the pastors. And if your pastors ever do do this to you, I give you permission to hold them accountable. Probably, probably my last time I'm going to speak here, but just kidding. But this is for pastors or elders or leaders of the church. Quit trying to guilt people into serving just because you think you have a desperate need. That's pretty strong, but it's true. Don't guilt people into serving because you've got this need, and it's always in the children's ministry. I don't care what church you go to. It's always in the children's ministry, but it can be other places. But instead, teach your people about the spiritual gifts. Encourage them to pray for them. Help them to understand them. Allow God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to use them, not because you're trying to guilt them into doing something. And trust me, if you do that, your church will flourish. And I will tell you that's part of why Living Truth does what it does today. Because I know your pastors don't do that too. We've even had meetings about what words we used. So we don't try to guilt you into something, but let you know when there's a need. That's what pastors, elders, leaders need to be doing. Because when people are serving out of the joy of the Lord, your church will flourish. Your church will grow and your church will be blessed.